So open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11 today. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. As we look at this passage, and then we'll, we'll go to the Lord's table together. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. I have titled this sermon, How to Live the Sermon on the Mount. How to Live the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through for a while. So there have been a handful of television shows that we have, um, we've enjoyed watching together as a, as a family. And really, we kind of have like two you know, kids, 18 and 17 on one side and you know, seven and nine on the other. So it's almost like we've had you know, two different sets of kids in this as, as, we've, as we've parented. And um, although we, we kind of fight against that, it's just reality. It's what it is. So with the little, with the, with the big boys, they're big now, but when they were little, one of the shows that, that I would watch with them quite often was called Wipeout. Did anybody watch Wipeout? Okay, yeah, yeah, right, right. So, so you got the, the huge big red ball and all these obstacle courses and the two comedians who are way better than the ones that are trying to do it now, by the way. I don't even know what the, that's terrible. Maybe it's a millennial Gen Z thing that I don't understand. But I, I, anyway, so but Wipeout was one of the ones we watched. And we've, we found reruns even. Luke Luke loves Wipeout in particular, I know, right? So we've enjoyed the show um, for, for lots of reasons. But with you, the very first time you watch it, the very first time and the show comes on and they do this panoramic, um, you know, drone view of all the different craziness of the obstacles that they have going on there. You just kind of look at your, you just kind of think, how in the world does someone even want to be a part of this, try to be a part of this? It's, there's no $50,000. I don't, I don't think that would draw me in as much as that would be helpful with some reason. But how in the world is somebody actually going to pull this off? You know, how, how are they, are they going to, of course, with some practice and some, some patience and some help, uh, you know, they, they make them easier, slow them down, things of this nature. And with some repetition, somebody eventually gets through each of, of the obstacles. I thought of that because as I was uh, coming to the end here, we're, we're at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount here in, in chapter 7. I thought of this show because I couldn't help but think that some of us in working through the Sermon on the Mount are asking the question, how in the world am I supposed to do this? How, how in the world am I supposed to live like this? How am I supposed to curb my anger? How am I supposed to fight Lust. How are we supposed to fight for marriage? How are we supposed to fight for truth? How can we serve and love the very people who hate us? How can we live with such humility that neither ourselves or others are tempted to idolize our spiritual lives? How can we love God and not love money? How can we be discerning and not be judgmental? How in the world am I supposed to live the way Jesus is teaching me to live? And I have really great news. The answer is verses 7 through 11. Okay. Will you stand with me? Let's read them together. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those 
who ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in answer to the question, how am I supposed to live this way? Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and the beginning of Matthew 7. Jesus gives a very gracious answer in this paragraph. And it's this. God will give you what you need. So just ask him for it. God will give you what you need. So just ask him for it. It starts with verses. I'm going to start with verses 9 through 11. Look at those with me. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the first thing that, that Jesus wants us to understand in this, in this passage of Scripture is that God gives what we need to live well. It is a part of his character. It's a part of his nature to give what we need to live the life that reflects citizenship in his kingdom. He gives the power. He gives the, he gives the ability. So almost daily, certainly yesterday, we had this conversation with Holly and I. Because we, we do this almost every, every day. How was your day at work? That's her talking. Not that she didn't work. She worked really hard. But she says, how was your day at work? And I say, it was fine. How was y'all's day? She says, it was good. Um, what are you thinking about dinner? And, and then the conversation will just explore all the options, right? Well, what's in the freezer that can thaw in time? Uh, what veggies do we have? What starches are available? Are there any leftovers that we need before they go bad? Is there anything in the fridge that's probably gone bad that we can't smell yet? Um, <laughs> You know, do you just want to go out and pretend like inflation doesn't exist? Like we just, we, this, these are the things that run through, right? And the reason we are able to have that conversation is because of abundance. It's because of abundance. We have resources, we have options, and therefore we have choices. And it's like we deliberate over whether or not we're going to eat all kinds of possibilities, right, for dinner. Okay. This is not something that anybody in Jesus' day could relate to in any way. Okay, because in Jesus's day, um, you had two options, bread and fish. You have more options on an Allegiant Airlines flight than Jesus people in his day did every day in real life. Okay, predominantly. Their diet was bread and fish. Remember the miracle feeding of the 5,000. What was the little boy carrying? Bread and fish because there's nothing else. That's what they have. They have bread and they have, they have fish. So you can imagine how important bread and fish are to you if it's literally the only thing you eat every day. Okay? It's got your fat. It's got your protein. It's got your carb. You're set. Okay? And that's what they had. It was crucial. It was literally a matter of life and death. They could not survive without bread and without fish. And so Jesus, in this passage, picks up on this reality with verses 9 through 11. A father would never prank his children with stones that looked like bread, knowing that bread was the only thing that they were going to eat. Okay. Our father would never prank his children with a snake that looked like fish, knowing that fish was the only thing they would ever get to eat. Okay. It would be hurtful to the point of causing them to question the likelihood of their existence to be that kind of Father, okay. Not that that, not that that doesn't stop 
we who have choices and abundance from pulling pranks on our own children. Okay. So one of the things that we, you know, when your kids are little, you start testing different food. Well, this, this is what we did. We started testing different, new, introducing new foods because we have choices and trying to get them to try and love new things. Like that's a value, that's a trait, that's a quality that you want your kid to have to be open-minded to food. It may not be for you. It is for us. Okay. Not a moral thing, just a thing. Okay. And um, uh, we discovered one day uh, when Trey was three, four years old, we discovered um, this Italian pasta called gnocchi, okay, which is made of potato. As soon as I said it, I knew Bethany was like, she's going to know what this is. So this is potato. Uh, this is basically like potato dumplings in Italian. Okay. They're absolutely amazing when you can cook them, when you can cook them right. And Trey, when we introduced gnocchi and I thought Trey was going to inhale it. Like he just loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. He just soaked it all down. It's just, it was amazing. So then we, we came a few days, well, actually a couple of weeks later, knowing that Trey loved gnocchi, we, we just came across another food that, we, that was interesting that summer, and it was called a giganta bean. It looks like a butter bean, only it's gigantic, okay? And it's called a giganta bean. Interestingly enough, it looks like gnocchi. All right. It looks like gnocchi. So Holly boiled, you know, the, the giganta beans, salt. And she did all the things you're supposed to do to giganta beans. And she put them on Trey's plate and called them gnocchi. And he was so excited, you know, so excited. And he took one bite of that and spit it out like, that is not a gnocchi, mom. That is not gnocchi. She gave him a stone when he thought it was bread. <laughs> right. So don't miss. Here's Jesus's point. A responsible father would supply his children with exactly what they need on a regular basis. It is, the, it is the nature of even an evil human being, a fallen human being, as a father, it would recognize the responsibility to provide this good thing and not to trick them with this thing that they needed to live the life that they were supposed to live, not to trick them, not to prank them, no jokes, right? If a, if a fallen, responsible father could do this, how much more would God, the Father, who is the perfect, heavenly, sovereign, providential Father, how much more will He give you exactly what you need to live the life He's called you to live? It is an appeal to the character and the nature and the quality and the attributes and the heart of God. If you're looking at the Sermon on the Mount going, how in the world am I going to do this? Well, you're not going to do it unless you ask Him. And if you ask Him, which I'll come to in just a moment, he will give it to you because it is his nature to give what is good. Okay. So the father knows and he gives what is good for his children in order for us to live as his children. And in response to that quality, if you know that's true about your God, there's only one thing that you can do or should do and want to do. And that's ask verses seven and eight. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So if you've, if you've frequently wondered, there's a few things I want to say about this, ask, seek and knock. If you have wondered what exactly you were supposed to be asking and seeking and knocking, now you know. Okay? Sometimes we, we pull these really beautiful, you know, poetic, memorable verses out of their context 
and just start talking about them. And we miss the immediate purpose for which they are present. And in its immediate purpose for which it's present, Jesus is affirming for you that it is the nature of God to be, to be good and give you what you need to live as he has called you to live. So if you've ever wondered, what am I supposed to ask and seek and knock for? The answer is the power of the Spirit to live the life that is described for you in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what you're supposed to ask for. That's what you're supposed to seek. That's what you're supposed to knock for, okay? God will give you what you need for that today. Whatever it is that you face to bring the gospel, the, 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 the sermon out to bear on the circumstances and relationships you have today, ask God for it. And he, it is his nature to give what is good. And that is good. Okay. But there are a couple other things that are, that are interesting here that I, I wanted to, to bring out. First, under, you know, if you want to, if you're like into your noting in your Bible, ask, seek, knock. Those are in the present tense, and they're also emphatic. There's a, there's a strong emphasis in the Greek that is meant to be pushed. Jesus is using it on purpose, or I guess Jesus was speaking in Aramaic. So uh, Matthew is choosing emphatic Greek language to make a point. It is to say, you need to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, on and on and on. Do it regularly and do it with emphasis over and over and over again. So there's a, there's a strong emphasis there. But the other thing that I want you to know is these are all three words. These are all about prayer. They're different metaphors for prayer, but they don't really carry any different meaning. They're just ways of, they're not different kinds of prayer. They're not different kinds of prayers. They're all just metaphors for, 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 for prayer. They're not different meanings, just, just prayer. And I, and I hope this is helpful. So, if you step into our front door, immediately you'll be sit with a, some stairs up to the second floor, and there's an L-shaped hallway upstairs. Go first part, and then down over here. So if you go to this first part, you'll bump into a closet. It's six foot deep and four foot wide, and there you will find me working. Okay, That is now my office, thanks to the, to the pandemic. So I work from a closet from an upstairs hallway. Now, the ability to do that has been transformational for my family. And I am, hear me say, I am grateful, okay? But it is not perfect. Okay? I am grateful, but it is not perfect. And the, um, the best illustration for how it's not perfect is that my kids could basically sit in my lap all day if they wanted to, okay, at work. Because I'm working in an upstairs closet that is right by their bedrooms, right on their way to the bathroom. It's on the way to the other, to the boys' bedroom where they like to go to their room and pull pranks on them. And it's just like I'm right in the traffic zone, even though I'm in a closet. I'm right, I'm right in it. So they have, they have constant you know, access. So this will be less true when they start all their school activities in a couple of weeks. But this summer has been crazy. Okay, it has been cray, cray. It has been crazy, okay? So even when I close the door and lock it, because I put a lock on the inside of it. If I close the door and lock it, which is usually I only do that when I have meetings you know, with, with, with other, other people on Zoom, they are not above just banging on the door and screaming my name, even though they hear me listening and talking to somebody else on Zoom, okay? And unless something is bloody or broken, they are not supposed to do that. But sometimes they still do, right? Luke says no comment. All right, that's right. What's going on there? Well, my children are having trouble discerning whether I'm available or accessible, okay? 
So even when I'm busy or in a meeting, I'm accessible. It's possible to reach me. I'm in the closet, okay? Even though I may not answer, but sometimes the, ki- the kids confuse my accessibility and my proximity to them to be availability, okay? And I'm not available sometimes, even though I'm accessible. Make sense? So I thought about that when I read this passage about asking and seeking and knocking, because there's some of these scholars who say it's, it's not just that Jesus is speaking emphatically about keeping on asking and keeping on seeking and keeping on knocking. They say asking is one level of prayer. Seeking is another level of intensity of prayer. And knocking is yet another level of intensity of prayer. And if you really and sometimes you you know, you, it's just you're in an asking state of mind and, and sometimes you're in a seeking state of mind. And sometimes like if you just really, really need, you've got to really go for it and just beat on the door because he's accessible, but he may not be coming across as available. So you've got to knock. OK, there's that there's that mindset. But I, I just I, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't get my head around that. I couldn't get my head around that because it seems to me that the passage is describing the character of God and our response to the character of God. So asking and seeking and knocking, it seems to me, is more likely a window into our perception of what God's availability and accessibility is than it is about the intensity of our prayer. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. If a, if a, dad, if a dad is present... If I'm in the, so my dad would come home from work and sit in the, the chair, his chair, okay? He would sit in his chair and he'd pick up the Bolivar commercial and turn on the, the national news at five. If my dad is in that room. He is, he's right there with me. I'm on the couch. All I have to do is ask because he's right there. I, I see him. He is physically right, right there. So I just have to ask, right? So if I need something, I just ask. If my dad was somewhere else in the house, he was back in the bedroom, flossing his teeth, which he always did right after dinner. <laughs> I would walk from my room or from the den back to his room. I would seek after him and ask. And if he was locked in that bathroom because he didn't want to be disturbed, I would seek and then I would knock on the door and then I would ask. So so what I think Jesus is saying here is it doesn't matter whether in your mind you think God is really close, almost like you can feel him and touch him, or if he's hard to see, you kind of have to look around for him, or if you think there are barriers between you and him, whatever your perception is at that time, pray. And sometimes in your mind, that's about asking because you feel he's right there. He's so near. He's so close. And you just ask because you know he's right there. And sometimes there's, there, are, there are obstacles and you've got to knock. And sometimes there, there, there's some distance and you have, to, you have to seek. But regardless of what your perception is, Jesus is saying, pray. Because God is a God who gives what you need to be his children. That's what he does. Before the first week of August, you probably never heard of a gentleman named Etienne Klein, unless you were already obsessed with astronomy. Is anybody here obsessed with astronomy? No. Great. This illustration is going to die a really quick death. 
couple of weeks ago, Etienne Klein, who is a, I can't believe you guys don't know this. He is, the, he is a world-renowned physicist. And he is the director of France's Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission. Okay? Smart guy, world-renowned in physicists, physics and astronomy. Okay? Etienne Klein, just two weeks ago, posted a photograph on Twitter to his 91,000 followers. Okay? How many physicists have 91,000 followers? Okay? And they follow him because they have a need or a desire for astronomical insights. They have an insatiable appetite for all things astronomical from a French physicist. And he tweeted this picture out. And with this picture, he put the following explanation in French. Let me translate. Picture of Proxima Centauri, the nearest star to the sun. It's located 4.2 light years away from us. And it was taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. And this level of detail, a new world is unveiled every day. Okay. So the picture, which I cannot show you, um, and I did not prepare to show you anyway, is, is a completely black background because it is space. And a picture of presumably Proxima Centauri, that is um, uh, Alabama red and with some markings on the inside. And it's truly, if you have in your mind that this is Proxima Centauri, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that we are capable with this new telescope that's used infrared light and doesn't have the atmosphere and doesn't have a, I cannot believe what we are seeing. This is Proxima Centauri. And for hours, 91,000 people began to retweet and talk and retweet and talk and retweet and talk. But things were not as they seemed. Because in a series of subsequent tweets, Klein later acknowledged that this was not a picture of Proxima Centauri, but it was a close-up of a slice of chorizo sausage. <laughs> Thinly sliced, you could see the fat marbling against a black background. It looked just like a star that you would think of a star if you didn't know what a star was supposed to look like. And he did it on purpose. Right? He wrote... According to contemporary cosmology, no object related to Spanish charcuterie exists anywhere else in the world other than Earth. Anywhere else in the world, okay. Now you can imagine how his followers felt about the joke. Physicists don't prank. You know what I'm saying? Like, you kind of want to take them at their word because they do understand how we're hurtling through space, among many, many other things. But his followers felt like children whose father had promised fish but got a snake. His followers felt like children whose father had promised bread but gave them stones. Okay. Now, I'm sure God has a sense of humor, but he does not play jokes on what we need. He's a good God who gives his children what we need to be his children. All we have to do is ask. And we cannot do it unless he empowers us to do it. And he is glad to empower us to do it. But we have to ask and sometimes seek and sometimes knock. All of it's just asking. All of it is prayer. So I want to challenge you to approach God like that. 
Ask him for what you need to live the Sermon on the Mount life for his glory and your good. And he promises to give you bread and not stones because he's a good God.